0: My name is Gary Collins, and I am a Baptist pastor. I have been attending church since I was born. Thank you, Dad and Mom. I've been a member of four churches, and in each one of them, I have been able to do one of my favorite things. When I stand here with a Bible open, I feel like I am doing what God created me to do. To read distinctly from the Bible and to give the sense and to help all of us understand the meaning. I want you to know in recent years I have had sweet Christian fellowship with non-baptist especially in the workplace out at the post office warehouse and the sheriff's office. And I even received a paycheck for two years from an Assembly of God church. And I have such a high honor and for the Adorno family and everyone at Viva Church Orlando where I worked. And right now they're worshiping God in English and Spanish and Creole and American Sign Language. And... Our family went to Cuba and we interacted with Pentecostal churches and pastors, and it was so obvious that the same Holy Spirit that controls my life was answering their prayers as well. If I could go back in time and, and, and rewrite church history, I would do it with less divisions between God's people. I would just say, wouldn't it be great if just God's people would come to Peace River? and there would be twenty to 30,000 people from Charlotte County just show up at the river, and the dolphins would be like, oh, here's more people being added to the church this week, being baptized. But today's topic that I'm going to speak about today actually does form a distinction between churches. Not every church teaches things exactly the same way that I am going to present it today. Here's what happened. I was at a multi-denominational meeting, and the speaker was saying things like you would expect him to say, like uh, the things that unite us is greater than the things that divide us. There's a real enemy out there, and it's not each other. And then he said, we're going to stay focused on the big things and not little things like eternal security. And his words just like hit me in the chest. And I I remember looking at him through my face-palmed fingers. And I don't know what he was saying, because all I could think was, eternal security is not a little thing. Well, how do I decide what's big and what's little? It's not just about passion I've seen people very passionate about things that I don't care anything about at all. And there have been things that I have been very passionate about that afterwards I felt like it was not worth it. But here would be what I would say. There's nothing bigger, more important than the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is what we need to keep intact and deliver to the next generation. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the power of God. In it, the justice of God is revealed to all generations God's Word is our standard. God's Word is the authority. God decides what's true and what's not true. And yet there are some things, even within the pages of the Bible, that you and I may disagree about, and we still love God just as much, and we love each other just as much. But when it comes to the gospel, what does somebody need to believe in order to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life? That can't be messed with. And Paul wrote to the Galatians. It's like, even if, if, even if I come again and teach something different, even if an angel shows up and teaches something different than the gospel to which you have believed and entered into the family of God, let them be condemned. Paul wrote to them and said, "Did did someone cast a spell on you? Are you bewitched?" How is it that you could so soon believe a different gospel than the one in which you came to Christ in? Jesus, the Son of God, became a human to pay for our sin, to set us free from its power, its grip, and the penalty. The pushback that comes from really both sides of this debate is, Well, if you can trust in Jesus and receive a salvation that can never be taken away from you, then you could just go on the rest of your life sinning because you have a get-out-of-hell-free card in your pocket. But anyone who asks that question misses the whole point of salvation. We came to Christ to be set free from our sin. We didn't come to Christ so we could keep on sinning. It just doesn't make sense. We serve God and we learn to do what's right and we learn to live by the power of the Holy Spirit and it's in response of the great goodness that God has shown to us. Even in Romans 6, when Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, I know you're going to ask this question. If God's mercy is so great, then shouldn't we just keep on sinning? Because his mercy is always going to be greater than our sin. And so it just makes him look even better. And that's where Roman, where Paul declared that, no, we have been set free from the slavery that we had to sin. And now we present our bodies to God instead. My purpose this morning is not to prove anyone else wrong. My desire this morning is that you would know that you are saved. You are rescued by God. You are redeemed or purchased by God. That you are a child of God. And I want you to walk out of here overwhelmed with how Much God loves you. And I want you to love God even more when you see how valuable and permanent your salvation really is. Another term to differentiate is between assurance of salvation and eternal security. They're related, but they're not the same thing. Assurance of salvation means, are you 100% sure that you are saved? One time I had a couple of Mormon missionaries sitting at our kitchen table. And I remember, I don't remember everything that was discussed, but they said, we've never met anybody that was 100% sure. And we tried to explain to them, you know, why we were so confident That our sins were gone because we rested in what Jesus had done and not our own works. But eternal security is that that salvation that we have received in Jesus can never be taken away from us. And that eternal security is part of what gives us the assurance of our salvation. I am 100% sure that if I die today or if I die 50 years from now, that my spirit is safe with Jesus forever. Now in my training, I was told to never acknowledge the sound room. They, like, if there's ever a problem, they know it. You know, They'll handle it. But I want to do want to mention today that I have a lot of scriptures I'm going to put up on a screen. And so you can give thanks later to Dan because he, he did such a good job of keeping up with me. And I'm going to add even a few scriptures that he doesn't even know about yet. But John 5.24, for example, is one that I was, did not have on the list. But Jesus said, He who hears my word and believes has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Some would believe that you could pass from death to life to death to life to death to life. To death to life. And I want to declare to you that that's not the way it works. You believe in Jesus, you have already passed from death to life. I do want to say one more thing before I start. I've labeled this the top 10 reasons why a saved person can never be lost. There's about 15 scripture verses that we're going to see together. Everything that I teach this morning is straight from the Word of God. Except one thing, and that is numbering them from 10 to 1. (laughs) So, numbering them from 10 to 1 is style, but the Scriptures themselves is the substance. Numbering them from 10 to 1 is the vehicle, the delivery truck, but the package that I'm delivering is the Scripture itself. So there's nothing really special about the order that I'm putting them in. That's arbitrary on me. So you could come to me afterwards and say, well, I think number six should be number one. Like, there are ten statements out of Scripture. They're all equally true. Okay, but I happen to be the one presenting it, so I'm putting them in this order. But fasten your seatbelt. We're going to go for a quick ride through Scripture. Top ten reasons why a saved person can never be lost. Number ten, Jesus said so. Jesus only has to say something once to make it true. But Jesus said this many times. I'll start with the most famous verse in 20th century America, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is in his conversation with Nicodemus. I do want to read John 3.36, even though this by this time is John writing and not Jesus speaking. But John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. And so we see from the beginning of the Gospels to the end of the Bible, he who believes in Jesus has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. But Jesus said these words in John 10, verses 27 through 29. And I give my sheep, hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus said it. That should be enough. But number nine on the list, salvation is a gift. The first verse that I want to read is Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? This is the, the churches in Galatians, they read this letter, they're going to have to mentally answer this question. And it was the obvious answer is we received the Spirit when we heard by faith. So then Paul goes on to say, verse three Are you so foolish? Nobody wants to answer that question. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? In other words, you didn't get saved by being good, and you don't stay saved by being good. You don't get unsaved by being bad. You didn't deserve to be saved in the first place, and you don't deserve to be saved now, but you still are saved because the grace of God is that good. All of us today, we're getting older, right? But... When Jesus died on a cross, all of our sins, of all of us that are here in this room today, they had not happened yet. They were all in the future. But when Jesus died, he paid for all of our sins. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, well-known verses in Scripture. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The grace of God is God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. Since you can't save yourself, God offers his grace as the basis of how it is possible for anyone to be saved from their sins. You cannot save yourself by any good work that you have ever done. Titus 3.5 declares it is not by the works of righteousness which we have done. Since good works can do nothing to earn salvation, then evil works can do nothing to remove it. You are saved in spite of your sin and you cannot be lost because of your sins. That is what I call the logical argument for eternal security. Number eight, Romans 8 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, If you go to our website, to the June 19th video, there's a 25-minute message about that one verse. And I'm not going to repeat all of that today. But there is no condemnation for Christians or anyone in Christ. I will never, in all of eternity, hear God tell me that I am guilty. Because I am in Christ Jesus. Number seven, the definition of forgiveness. Ephesians 1.7, I'll start with, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 4.32, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, in Christ, forgave you. The definition of forgiveness is being released from a debt. You don't owe anything anymore. Last year, Amy and I were going through Dave Ramsey's financial piece, and it was the second time that we had gone through it, and one Sunday morning, I came in to uh, see Alan Green, who was the leader of this class, and I said, I was reading something this week that I have to tell you about. I was reading about when Jesus was on the cross, and he said, it is finished, and I hate to say Greek words in front of Harry because I don't know if I'm saying it right. But tetelestai was the word that Jesus declared from the cross. And I was reading this article about the different ways in which tetelestai was used. And it could be as simple as at the end of your workday. It's done. Tetelestai. But one of the things was that when somebody paid off a debt, that they would actually stamp it. To and somebody would walk out of what well, the equivalent of a modern-day bank and say, "To Well, anyways, if you if you're followers of Dave Ramsey, you know that he regularly has on his show people that call in and give their debt-free scream. We're debt-free. It's such a great feeling for people who have been burdened by all of this debt, sometimes $133,000 paid off in 27 months or whatever the episode might be. And I, I came to Alan and I said, When Jesus was on the cross, he gave the first ever debt-free scream. And Alan told Even as I says, while you're telling me this, I'm feeling goosebumps up and down my back. And I said, I knew you would, and that's why I came to tell you this. When Jesus stood on the cross and said, "It is finished," the debt is gone. You don't owe anything anymore. Your sin is gone. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry, now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. If the Tetelestai debt-free scream doesn't communicate what forgiveness is about, then think about a presidential pardon. We have rules in our country to say that the president can pardon someone of convicted crimes. Probably the most famous one was when Gerald Ford became president and he pardoned Richard Nixon of all wrongdoing. Before his plane even landed in California, he was already pardoned. And President Ford said it's time for the country to move forward. And then other presidents since then have issued some eyebrow-raising pardons. But when you have been pardoned by the president you cannot be tried for that crime again and we have this word in the bible that say that god in his grace because of what jesus has done for us he issues a pardon my chains are gone i've been set free My God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. Number six the definition of eternal has no end. Jesus didn't say, he that believes in me has temporary life. He didn't say, he that believes in me will eventually have eternal life. He didn't say, he who believes in me will move on to the next round. He has it. You put your faith in Jesus and you pass from death into life. Romans 8, 38 and 39 read this Last month, I'll read it again now, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I could cue right now the choir behind me to sing, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, right, to keep me from my Lord. There's nothing that can stop us. We have eternal life. It has no end. We're halfway there. Number five. God will finish what he started. How many people here ever start a project you didn't finish? Well, you are not God. <laughs> Let's read some scripture. Philippians 1, six. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This morning we are here in Charlotte County. We're not in heaven yet. But if you have found Jesus, he will finish what he started you will be there safe to the end 2 Timothy 1:12 says for this reason i also suffer these things nevertheless i am not ashamed for i know whom i have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what i have committed to him until that day who is able to keep you he is able God is able to keep you. God will finish what he started. If it were up to you to keep your salvation, you'd have to get saved every week. And some people try to live that out. But it's a burden that you don't need to carry because you can find eternal life and eternal forgiveness in Jesus. He is able to keep you until the last day. Number four, the permanence of adoption. John chapter 1, I'm going to actually start in verse 11. He came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. The day that you believed and trusted in the name of Jesus for your salvation, you became a child of God. He chose to adopt me. He called for me to come to him. We get it backwards sometimes in our presentation. You've heard these phrases before. Ask Jesus to be your Savior. Ask God to become your Father. But actually, He's the one asking us. God's saying to us, If you come to me, I will adopt you. If you come to me, I will save you. The invitation is to come to Jesus. Instead of framing the question as asking Jesus to come into your heart, there's a clearer way of saying it. And that is, do you believe that Jesus died for you? Trust in Jesus and he will give you eternal life. There is a real invitation that's giving, but it's Jesus who is on one knee, inviting you to come to him, to be wedded to him Forever. What a great truth it is that we can rest on that we have been adopted as children of God. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. Have you received him? Then you are a child of God. Number three, God's power is greater than than Satan's power. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Mercy me, generation, greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. For you in the gather generation, greater is he that is in me, greater is he that is in me, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I submit to you that part of this, the, the truth behind this verse is speaking of salvation. If Satan could take you away from God, he would. He might be able to convince you that God no longer cares about you. But we come back to the scripture and find out that's not the truth. Was it last Sunday that pastor preached about the prodigal son. And I remember one time I was prepared to preach about the prodigal son and I just, just knew, you know, that the Lord was going to use this message in someone's life and this is going to be awesome and I get to the end of the service and I give the invitation and a 90-year-old woman comes forward. I'm like, you're not the prodigal son. But she sat on the front chair and I sat down next to her and she said, for 17 years, I did not attend church. And all of those 17 years, I thought that God was mad at me. But now I know he was waiting for me to come back. Spiritual warfare is real. pastor's been teaching it on Wednesday nights. We need to know all about it. There's no reason to be ignorant. And even as Christians, Satan can persuade us to do wrong, and he can torment us for doing right. But he is not greater than Christ who lives in us. God has given us everything that we need to defeat him. The battle still rages on. But we are on God's side. I could do a couple of World War II analogies. I am a history teacher. World War II in Europe was decided on D-Day. But there was still another 15 months before Hitler surrendered. But it was pretty much unknown it was it was a done deal because the efforts to defeat hitler were already in place similar in japan in that case the united states and their allies would have eventually defeated japan but then those bombs were dropped on those two cities and japan had to immediately surrender The day that I was saved, God won the battle. Satan hasn't admitted it yet, but it's happened. Number two, your salvation is as secure as Jesus. Our salvation is the work of God and not the work of man. I am as righteous as Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, my sin was transferred, just like you make a transfer in a bank account, my sin was transferred to Jesus. And when I trusted in him, his righteousness was transferred to me. I didn't understand all of that when I was a four-year-old. And you don't have to understand all of that to become a Christian. To be born again, you just need to understand that you have sinned against God, but he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to pay for your sin and put your trust in him. And then the longer we live, the more we understand and appreciate what God has indeed done for us. Jesus can never be declared guilty. And since I am in Jesus, I can never be declared guilty. 2 Corinthians 5.21 he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Corinthians 1.30 But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption Moving to Philippians three nine. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And one more from Colossians 2.10. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And number one. I save this for last because in my mind, this is the greatest proof that my salvation is secure. The reason is that my salvation is as secure as the Holy Spirit. Let me read these three verses, Ephesians 4:30: "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed." For the day of redemption. We see a similar thing in 2 Corinthians one twenty-two. Who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Two things in that verse I want to emphasize. That he sealed us and that guarantee thing. I want to read one more verse. 2 Corinthians 5.5 Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. One day I will be in heaven and I will never sin again. But what about now? The day I was saved, I was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He sealed me. That ceiling is a mark of ownership. In our minds, we could think of the the late 1800s out west before the railroads were finished and the cowboys would drive the cattle across the trails. And at the beginning of the season, each cattle rancher would brand their cattle. And at the end of the trail ride, they would separate them out based on whose brand they were. In a sense, that's what I am. Sealed, branded by the Holy Spirit. I belong to Him. And if anybody's going to sort things out at the end of the age, I'm branded. I belong to God. The second part of that, those verses that we read is that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. He's the down payment. If I were to buy a house from you, let's say the, the price of that house is $250,000. What a bargain in today's market. I give you a check for $50,000. So you know that I'm serious. I want your house. And I give you a check for $50,000. And I come back a month later for closing to claim my house. But what if that check bounced? What if my down payment was worthless? I would have no claim to the house. God has promised me eternity with him. No sorrow, sickness, no pain, a resurrected body, a room in the Father's house. And he made a down payment of the Holy Spirit. I know that God's going to complete the deal. I know that my salvation will be realized in full because he gave to me the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit bounces, if the Holy Spirit fails, then my salvation is in jeopardy. But let me tell you, the Holy Spirit will never fail. He is my guarantee of salvation. It's not about my efforts. Never was. And I will say, I have friends who are not Baptists and they rely on the Holy Spirit in such amazing ways and yet somehow miss out on the idea that the Holy Spirit is keeping them safe forever in God. Everything that I have in regards to my salvation and eternal life is from God. I trust that these verses and these words today would would make sense. But I hope that they provide assurance to you that if you have trusted in Jesus, you are saved forever. If you choose to say yes to Jesus today, you will pass from death to life today. Let's pray. Father, there may be someone today that is having that moment of truth, that moment of realization that the gospel of Jesus is real. And right now where they're listening and thinking about this message, they're saying, dear God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe that when Jesus died to pay for my sin, it secured for me everything forever. Father, may we rest. May we just totally understand how great your salvation is. What you have accomplished for us it was so expensive so valuable, and so free for us to receive. You did all of the work. All we need to do is say yes to your invitation to allow the blood of Jesus to make full payment for our sin. Thank you for the scriptures you've given to us. These verses that we've read today, may they bring great comfort to our spirits encouragement for the days ahead. In the name of Jesus, amen.